Good morning. Good to have you here this morning. We are, this summer we're having some fun. We're looking at the themes and the messages from the movies, some of the some of them blockbusters that were anticipated blockbusters, some of them duds, but we're looking at we're looking at the themes and the messages of the movie. In in movies, what you do is you see usually there's a problem or there's some kind of trouble, there's a predicament that people are trying to deal with. And it's in as you watch the hero or the heroine take action to deal with the trouble, to accomplish a goal, then you find out uh, what the movie's all about and what the message is behind the scenes that you're watching on the screen. So what works to bring a good outcome on the screen is the value message of the movie. And so we're trying to pull these out of uh, the movies this summer and then compare and contrast it with what it says in Scripture, with what the Bible says, and finding out... Uh, the real wisdom that's out there compared to box office wisdom. Some of it lines up, a bunch of it doesn't. This week we're looking at uh, the movie Brave. I went to see this movie. Hadn't been in a theater packed with kids in a while. Um, <laughs> still, the popcorn was still good. But um, I, I, I really enjoyed the movie. I found out that it, it was a little scary for the younger kids. And, you know, life is scary. And, and so in that way, it matches reality for sure. But um, here's a trailer from the movie, just to give you a little flavor, if you haven't had a chance to see it or don't plan to. Here's a little flavor of what it, here, here's what it's about. No one knows how we came to this land. A land filled with magic and danger. That's my father, King of Dumbroch. Then there's my brothers, we devils more like. And there's my mother. She's in charge of every single day of my life. A lady rises early. Does this stuff her gob? Does not place her weapons on the table. Oh, Mom. She just doesn't listen. Pretend I'm Merida. Speak to me. I don't want to get married. I want to stay single and let my hair flow in the wind as I ride through the glen, firing arrows into the sunset. Places, everyone. Each of the firstborn must compete for the hand of the fair maiden. Oh, that's attractive. Show a little decorum. Give us a turn. This precious daughter I want is new. I want a spell that changes my fate. Done. What's the worst that can happen? <laughs> Where's the queen? This means war! change your fate, would you? 
I'm not going to spoil the movie, but there are some some themes in this movie that that are played out in real life. And you you, you know, a good movie, you can see yourself in what's going on on the screen. Uh, Merida, the 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 hero of the movie, she is she finds herself in some circumstances that she completely resents. She she resents the circumstances of her life, the people, some of the people in her life. She doesn't really appreciate what they're trying to do to help her. And so she what she does is she focuses on changing the people and the circumstances in her life so that she can she can find happiness. This brings real trouble. This I actually understand that reflex, but you know, she's focusing on changing things that she can't change. My very first at-bat, I was really into baseball when I was a kid, and my very first at-bat ever, official at-bat, let's say this, I was eight years old, and uh, I had actually had a couple at-bats earlier in the church league. I wasn't really old enough to play, but they, they let me hit anyway. But my very first at-bat ever, I, we didn't have fences in Southgate in the park we played in, but I hit the ball over the right fielder's head, and... I ran all the way around the bases. I clearly slid right across the plate. And the other coach on the other team, he's yelling. They were the Loop Angels, the dreaded Loop Angels. Okay, sorry, I'm reliving this scene. <laughs> and, and anyway, they, he, the coach on the other team's yelling, tag him, tag him, you know, kind of make it look like I didn't touch the plate. And I heard him do, saying that, and I reach over to touch the plate. And right before I hit the plate, the guy tags me out, and the umpire goes, you're out. And I went ballistic. I'm throwing helmets. I'm throwing bats. I'm yelling at the umpire. The umpire had asked my sister out on a date, and I said, she will never date you. <laughs> and and I, I knew that was true because she didn't like the guy, but I just thought I'd throw it out there <laughs> for everybody to hear, you know. And I was ticked. I was The commissioner of the league had to come over and calm me down. So I, I really understand this reflex of trying to change the circumstances to, to make you happy. I was very unhappy with that, that circumstance. Actually, I reflect on it later. I, I think that God allowed that to happen so that I would remain humble. I'm not sure you could live with me if the very first at bat I ever had, I hit a home run. Not sure. So God, God used it for my good, which is what he does. But wow, that was so I really identify with Merida not being happy with the people and the circumstances in her life and trying to rearrange them to get her way. But that brings trouble, brought trouble in the movie, brings trouble in our life. Um, there are some other things that line up with the way life works in the movie. Pride tears the bond between Merida and her mother. And this is the way it is. Pride and arrogance divides relationships. Tears them right into it. In our heart of hearts, all of us, we want what we want, and we're convinced that we deserve it. And so that's where conflict starts. That's what the Bible says is a source of conflict. And in the kingdom of the movie, you saw some of the mayhem and the chaos and you know, the, the princes come in with their firstborn to try to win Merida's hand. She doesn't want to have anything to do with any of them. But uh, under the king, they're all just, there's a bunch of rock, ruckus and mayhem and chaos going on. And, and you see that. That's, that's like, that's a picture of the, the way the world is. We're in a mess in the world. And you see the mess 
uh, pictured in movies many times. And the solution to the mess that plays out on the screen reveals the perspective of the screenwriters and the creative team. So they're, they're playing out their, their answer to the solution. And, and the Bible is clear in this, in this movie, this tendency to change our circumstances. There's a way we're going to look at in a minute that she goes about trying to do it. The Bible is clear that our response to unwanted, unwanted circumstances and where we go to gain courage to deal with them are key factors on our happiness gauge. They're, they're key. We tend to think that we can't have happiness without the circumstances that we want, without the people in our life that we want, without the things coming just together, just the way we want. But that's not true. Practically, that would mean that your happiness is anchored in the people and circumstances around you. What a miserable life. That's, that's tough because no, nobody, rarely do people and circumstances get on your page. Uh, the Bible clues us in to the fact of why the world's in the mess we're in. Uh, we're in the mess for a reason. I don't have a lot of time to go into this. But the mess we're in is a result of a choice that the very first man and the very first woman made to rebel against God. And the result of that choice means that life is difficult. There's frustration in work. There's trouble in relationships. There's this mess that we're in. Theologians would say the world we live in is fallen. That means it's less than ideal. It's not the ideal that God originally created or intended. It's not out of his control. And he's working to restore things. But he's being very patient. He's allowing everybody who could be uh, to, to be born and then have the opportunity to come to know him. And that's what he hopes the mess does. He hopes the frustration, the unwanted circumstances, the adversity, the trouble that we deal with, he hopes that it drives us back to him for the answer, to help us walk through this, to help us deal with this. But the world we live in is now less than ideal. It's the consequence of rebellion of the first man and woman and our own choice to, to, to rebel as well. And we now have an enemy, Satan, who who pushes against doing right. He, he, he gained some access into the world at that choice. And so just doing the right thing is a battle. It, it doesn't seem like it should be that hard, but it is. God allows this mess to continue and hope that we would live, that we would seek him out, and that we would find him. And that we would turn to him as the solution to make it good for us. This is what he wants. The best response to unwanted circumstances is to let God change you through them. And we have the opportunity. God promises to do that if we'll just walk through our circumstances with him, trusting him, letting him lead us, letting him decide how we're going to respond and what we're going to say and do. He, he, and just surrendering when we don't, because let's face it, we're not perfect, we don't. But we surrender to him, and he promises to make it good for us. Here's the process that he walks us through in Romans 5. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. That word suffering is 
literally it means pressure. So the pressure of conflict, trouble, unwanted circumstances, the adversity that we're dealing with in life, God wants to use that pressure to develop endurance and character and hope in us. And once you walk with God, you learn to walk with God through the pressure, through the unwanted circumstances. You learn to surrender them to him. God, I'm not going to focus on the people and the circumstances. I'm going to focus on me. That's the only thing I can choose to control. I'm going to... To the best of my ability, God, I, I give up. I surrender. I want you to lead me here. And I want you to take me through this. Once you do that, you see this process work its way out. He builds endurance, which is desperately needed character, and hope. So then, over time, on the front side of the trouble, when the pressure comes, you learn more and more to give uh, the control to him. Now, we need courage to live everyday life. And handle our circumstances and adversity because it's it's just there's this frustration level. It, it seems like it shouldn't be hard to get along as a family, um, but the truth is, we struggle. We struggle because we all want what we want. And we think we deserve it, and um, it's important in the midst of that struggle to let God change you and your heart, and not focus on the people around you. It's easy to do. Oh, if they would just stop that, quit annoying me, it would be so much better. But focusing on God changing me and my heart as, we, as I work through the conflict, as I work through the trouble, is very important. We can ask God to help us do that. Work is harder than it should be. And there's this pressure and struggle in doing our everyday work. And God, God wants that to lead us. He wants the pressure to lead us to Him, to trust Him. Even trying to help people in ministry is tough because misunderstandings occur. There's conflict, adversity. So since the fall, we have to fight for the life God wants us to have. He'll fight with us. He'll fight for us. But we have to decide to trust him with that. The movie gives us a glimpse of this predicament that we're in and offers a very clear definition of bravery and who we should rely on to deal with the predicament. Listen to this interview with the director of the movie that talks about what the movie's all about. Brave is about, in a nutshell, um, a child's struggle with finding themselves. Uh, more specifically, their struggle in reconciling how the world sees them versus how they see themselves. And the true definition of bravery, I believe, is, is looking then inside yourself and finding the answer. Because it's going to be not one or the other, but something kind of combined and new and different. And if you can face that and accept that, that's what actually being brave is about. So Merida really wants to change the people in the movie, and I don't want to ruin it for you, but trouble starts. And she, she the trouble started because she asked a, wish, a witch to help her with this. So she goes back to the witch to kind of unwind the trouble, the predicament. And this is the uh, chant that she gets from the witch. Fate be changed, look inside. Mend the bond torn by pride. So you look inside and you hear the director talking about that true bravery is looking inside. At the end of the movie, Merida says this about bravery. She says, true bravery is reaching inside of you 
and finding the courage to change your faith. The Bible has a very different view of where courage comes from, where you can gain confidence. Contrast Merida with Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king of Israel. They were under attack by the Syrians. The horde of the Assyrians was mounting up against them. Look what he says to his men in Second Chronicles. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all Assyria and all the horde that is with him. I mean, when he says all the horde, he means these, these people were barbarians. They were brutal. Great, tremendous opportunity for fear. But look at what Hezekiah says. For there is more, there are more with us than with him. He wasn't talking about numbers of people. They were outnumbered. There are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, the king of Judah. That's the source of confidence that you find in Scripture. It's God himself. Alex is going to come and walk us through uh, how to uh, tap into the confidence and courage that God offers. Thanks, Randy. Uh, as you could see, Randy just portrayed kind of the, the idea of the movie of Merida reaching in, trying to conjure up the right perspective, the right strength, the right power to change her own circumstances, reaching in within herself. When you dig into the scriptures, you realize that there's not really a category for getting the success, getting the happiness, and ultimately being within God's will within yourself alone. Uh, you have to actually attach yourself to God and his ways, and from him flows the strength, the courage, and the power to, to change, to grow, to accomplish the goals ahead of us. Uh, last week, we talked about making the most of the opportunities, and we talked about the story of Moses and his view of time, how he under, understood that we have to make the most out of the opportunities and to number our days so we can make the most of the, the time we have left. And Moses uh, brought, as I talked about last week, brought the Israelites out of Egypt and the hands of the Egyptians and the slavery that they were in and took them out to lead them to the promised land. But because of the people and the hardness of hearts and his own hard heart, he was not going to be able to take them to the promised land himself. And there's this time we're going to pick up today where he's basically encouraging and commanding the people, these Israelites that he's been leading and it's at the end of his reign, it's the end of his leadership, and he's basically giving them this, this command to, to be strong. And I'll read that to you. It's Deuteronomy 31. Uh, he's going to pass the leadership on to Joshua, and this is like one of the last statements he says to this group of people. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. What he's basically saying is the battle to do right, what you're just about to approach, this new change, the new circumstances, he is the source of confidence. God himself is the source of confidence. And if you look at this passage, you see that he's, he's speaking with all this experience of leading these people. And although they've been in the wilderness for 40 years, they've known when they wake up they're going to be in the wilderness there's predictability there. But he knows they're going to be in the midst of change, change of leaders, change of scenery. They're going to be entering some battles. And you could see that he's probably sensing all the fear and anxiety of the people. The change is coming, the unknown. They're not sure what's going to happen. And he gives them this command, this idea of you, you be strong. 
the Lord your God will be with you. He goes with you. That, that idea in the, the original language that this was written in, in Hebrew, the Lord goes with you. It's this idea of God is going to walk around you. He's a hedge of protection. He's going to escort you. As you enter this new phase, as you enter this new land, as you're with new circumstances, he's going to escort you through this. And that picture of never leaving nor forsaking, you see that a lot of times in Scripture, that God will never leave you or forsake you. What, it, what that means is he's not going to allow you to sink down. So Moses is basically saying to the people, he's not going to allow you to, to drown. And remember, these are the people that walk through the Red Sea as the water is split and they're walking through dry land. And he's basically saying, remember, he's not going to leave you because you made it through that waterway. I mean, if there's ever a time where you think you're going to drown, it's where you're seeing hundreds of feet of water right next to you. Dear God, I hope this path remains solid because the water is right here and all of them would sink. But he's reminding them, he will not allow you to sink. And the picture there is this idea of to be disheartened. He's not going to allow the circumstances to dishearten you to the point where you you cannot move forward. So Moses is reminding his people, he's not going to let you sink. He's not going to let you drown in your circumstances, in your trouble, in the suffering and the pressures, like Randy mentioned. Recently, I took my kids swimming. And my son Levi, he's in that floaty phase, which if you've ever tried to put floaties on a kid, you, you think you're going to pull arms off every time. And I'm, I get the floaties on, and I'm realizing that although he has the security of the floaties, you can't really swim in floaties. You know, kids that try to swim, it's kind of like they're, the, the floaties are attached, and they can't quite get the stroke right. So I thought, you know what, let's take the floaties off so he can get accustomed to what it feels like to swim and what the stroke feels like. What I realized very early on is floaties equals protection equals security. The floaties come on. My son has this... Dad, don't let me drink. Don't let me drink. I was thinking, what? I'll let you drink. What, what are you talking about? Well, drink to my son was drown. And I thought about it. I was like, well, if you drown, you might be drinking a lot of water. So in his head, it made complete sense. But there's this idea of the floaties came off his security. He was going to drown. And so I told him, I said, son, I, I am here. I'm, I'm going to hold you. I'm not going to let you sink. Okay, dad. And he, and he holds. And then as he got used to the fact that I was not going to let him go. He wasn't going to sink down to the bottom. He started to kind of swim a little bit and swim towards me. But he always knew I would grab him. And the idea is I, I was his anchor. I could touch the bottom. And he could trust that I would hold him and focus. And I have to remember that. No floaties. Focus. Focus. No drinking or drowning. Whichever one. Uh, but it's that picture of the security was in when his floaties. But those are kind of like the circumstances, or kind of like trusting ourself. It, it's a mirage. You're really not secure. Even with floaties, you're really not secure. You, you need an anchor. You need to be able to touch bottom. And what Moses is saying is, is God is your anchor. He's been the anchor for me. He's been the anchor for your fathers and your mothers. He's going to be the anchor for you and your children. He will not let you sink. He'll not forsake you. So that's the promise that, that we have. This idea of he, as we trust in him, he's our confidence. In fact, true courage comes from trusting God who's in control. Uh, in this movie, again and again, it's this idea of who has control. And Merida is constantly trying to take control of her life. And there's something in there that resonates with us. 
Because frankly, I want control of my life. I want control of my circumstances. A lot of times I want control over people. I want things to work out exactly how I think they should go. But the idea is here is, is our, our confidence can't be in ourselves and our ability to change people, ability to get what we want because it's fleeting. That doesn't give us the satisfaction that we, we long for. That only comes through relying on God. He is our source of confidence. He does not change. This is really the picture of faith. Trusting God who is in control. That's the picture of faith. So Moses is reminding the, the people, this is, this is our role. This is what we are supposed to do. As you leave and you will encounter new battles, as you encounter new problems and change, and there's going to be more fighting, and you guys are going to keep, continue to question, is God still with us? Can we still accomplish the things before us? Are we going to die? He points them back, God is with you. He'll never forsake you. And the promise for them is the same for us today. It's in him, and our confidence is in him. I want to fast forward a little bit. So Moses kind of gave this proclamation to the people to take heart, to be strong, to be courageous. And Moses died. And he lived his life, and he died. And then the new leader was Joshua. And it's very interesting. And Moses spoke to the people, and then God spoke to Joshua. And now it's a different circumstance, because now you see the new leader of the people. And that, that's, that is a huge role. Imagine being the leader of the guy who took the people out of slavery. Could you imagine what the people, you know, Joshua, we like you and all, but we were slaves before he came. What are you going to do? Could you imagine the pressure on Joshua? Well, I'm going to lead, I hope. And the pressure that he had and maybe the unknown and thinking, you know, God, I've been in some battles before, but this is a whole new deal. I mean, I'm the main guy what if I mess up? What if they don't want to follow me? And you could sense just all the fear that would be going on. It's the same true for us as we encounter new things and new challenges. What are the questions that we ask ourselves? How is it going to work out? What are people going to do? How am I going to react to these circumstances that I have no control over and are unknown? And we just scenario after scenario after scenario. So God himself comes to place this promise to Joshua. And we can cling to this today. And it says this. In Joshua 1, it says, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you. God is giving some specific guidance to Joshua. As he faces adversity, as he faces the unwanted circumstances, he's giving these are the specifics. And it's as if God knows exactly, and he does know exactly what Joshua was thinking. Because you see how many times he mentions to be strong and courageous? Seems like Joshua might just be thick-headed like, like, like myself, or maybe like you. This idea of God tells you something, and you're like, yeah, but God, this is really difficult. Okay, so be strong and courageous. Yeah, but God, but these people... 
they're pretty cranky. They've been in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay, be strong and very courageous. Okay, God, but, I mean, really, Moses was, he was a good leader, and, and what am I supposed to do? And you be careful to obey. And this is the idea of he's, he's walking him through. I have a lot of help and hope as I read this. So I realize God is patient, and he is basically telling Joshua, I'll let you down. I will not let your life be destroyed. I will not let this thing blow up in your face. I will be with you. And every question and unknown that Joshua was thinking in this passage, God's guidance gives him three things. Be strong, be courageous, and be careful. I want to walk through what this looks like. As we face the unknown, as we face trouble, as we face pressure. The first thing is be strong. The idea is you have a firm grip, like a strong grip on your responsibilities. In the midst of the unknown, a lot of times we want to bail. We want to check out. We're not sure how things are going to work out, and so we just kind of want to coast. We don't want to engage. We want to loosen our grip on our responsibilities because if we take a step back, it feels like maybe we'll be safe. If this thing blows up and I'm kind of further away from it, I won't get part of the wreckage. What you realize is that's the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do. There's this idea of we're supposed to get dominion over the things that are in front of us. We're supposed to grab it with a firm grip. That's the strength. The psalmist says this, I'll not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Salvation, that word right there is victory. Victory belongs to the Lord. Your blessing Beyond your people. The psalmists are, are very real. A lot of times they're crying out to God and they've been made into songs. And there are these ideas of as people were distressed and people were facing trouble, they cried out. And sometimes it's brutal honesty. And I can relate to that. But this passage I'm thinking, this guy is saying, thousands of people are against me. Blessing be on your people. Does that make any sense to you? I'm thinking one person's against me. I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And there's thousands. But again, it's not in the confidence of the psalmist. It's not in the confidence of Joshua. It's not in the confidence of Moses. It's not in the confidence of who's gone before you, in your parents, in yourself. The confidence is in God. Because victory, salvation, belongs to the Lord. He is the one that blesses his people. So as you face adversity in your work, as you face adversity in relationships, in training up your kids, in relating to people that are difficult, you keep a strong grip. You don't check out. Because the reward comes as you endure and you allow God to move. The second thing is to be courageous. A lot of times you're, you may be battling discouragement when you, when you say things like, I can't do this anymore. You ever say that? I, I do all the time. It's kind of in my mind. I don't often say it out loud, but it's like, I can't do it. I'm done. It's over. I can't handle this anymore. It's kind of those extreme statements like, I will never, or I can't ever. That was all I could think of. But they're extreme. They're absolute. And this idea of my strength is run out. I'm going to bail. But, but courage is regardless of how you feel in the moment. In the moment, let's face it, when trouble comes, our feelings are very deceiving because our feelings are telling us 
to give up. Our feelings are telling us, you know, you, you can't really do it, which is true. Within ourselves, we cannot do what we have to do. We cannot bring about the purposes that God wants for our life. We cannot accomplish the goals before us. We can only do it as we rely on the Lord, our God, who led the Israelites out of slavery, who is with Joshua, who is with Moses, and who is with us today. We have courage not in our feelings, not in our understanding, not in the way that we can come up with a successful strategy plan. We, we have our confidence in God. Psalm 42.5, another psalmist which I can relate to. Why are you so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This is basically saying, why are you depressed? Why are you frustrated? Why are you upset? Why are you discouraged? Why do you feel hopeless? Why are you angry? All the feelings that come against us, all the feelings that the enemy uses to discourage us, to stall us. Why? My answer sometimes is because it feels so right right now. Because I'm scared or I don't know how it's going to work out. But the psalmist is saying, put your hope in God. That's courage, putting your hope in God, not yourself. That's very counterintuitive. Courage for us, we've we got to have the strength to do it. No, true courage is putting your strength in the one who can change your circumstances. And if your circumstances don't change, he will change you. See, that's, that's the difference. I kind of had a picture of, of this recently. I have uh, this retaining wall with a bunch of land in my backyard. And it's been one of those things where I, I open the blinds and it's just it's covered in weeds. And I open the blinds, it's like, all right, close the blinds. The blinds are closed, the weeds are not there. So finally, a few weeks ago, I decided, you know what, I am going to take care of those weeds. I'm going to plant some ground cover. I'm going to water it, and it will grow. You know, like baseball, field of dreams, like if you build it, they will come. I was thinking, if you water it, it will grow. And so we cleared the land. I had some guys helping me. I planted things. I laid mulch down. I started to water it. And I was just waiting for like this just oasis, like magic waterfall. You know, maybe a lawn chair would just appear right there. And, and I realized if you water things, things do grow. But the weeds were still there. And literally, I opened my blinds and I'm kind of, I was gone for a couple of days and I came back and I opened my blinds. And literally a little tear almost came right down. Because the weeds had sprung back up. All that work. And the weeds had sprung back up. In fact, I could see the weeds. I couldn't see the ground cover. You know how depressing that is? It's like, oh, well, what's growing? And that's the same thing that grew before I did all that work. And I, I'm not going to lie. I, I was discouraged. I was, I, I was actually thinking, well, forget it. I'm, I'm going to blow the whole thing up. I don't know how it's going to work. And I might get arrested. But forget this. It's not worth it. And I, I literally was telling this to myself, and my wife was very patient. I came and I'm, this is, I, I'm telling her this. This is just, this is not right. I, I've worked so hard on this, and I'm, I'm frustrated. And it, literally, I just wanted to destroy the whole thing, because somehow that would feel like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> and it hit me. I, I realized this is back to the fall. You know, I have weeds because of sin. 
That's not very motivating when you're trying to garden. The fact is there's always going to be weeds. And the one thing that has discouraged me, I thought, well, if I did this magic mulch to water ratio, it won't happen. But the weeds are still going to grow. And I have a choice. Am I going to stay and water and pick the weeds and stay after it and keep checking it? Or am I just going to leave it alone? It's the same thing in our circumstances. Sometimes we think that something magic is going to happen that's going to really just make it all just better. What it, ha- what it is is it's us diligently relying on God and allowing him to work through us. So what that means is last night I got home and I looked out there and I said, well, I got more work to do. And I have to get out there and I have to continue to get those weeds out, plow the soil, keep watering. It's the same in life. We have to keep plugging away, keep the strong grip, and not be discouraged to the point where we just want to bail. And the last thing is we, we need to, to be careful. I like that this was added. Because the idea is strength and courage. We're like, yeah, I want to accomplish what I have before me. But this be careful is remember where the strength and courage came from. Remember where your power comes from. It's very different. A lot of times if we have the strength of God and the courage of God, we, we think that that was within ourselves. We forget that flowed directly from him. But it's this idea of you, you do not waver from the truth of the scriptures. The boundaries in the Bible, they should guide our life. What God says, we believe. We take him seriously. If he tells us to do this, we do it. If he tells us not to do it, we don't do it. In the midst of having a strong grip and taking courage, we have to always align ourselves with the truth. What reality is according to how God has wired the world. 1 Corinthians paints this same picture. 1 Corinthians 16. It says, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. That idea of acting like men is be people of courage. So you see it come again. But the first part of that is to be watchful. To be watchful is to stay awake. Be on guard. Be alive. There's this thing like a patrolman. The troops are sleeping, and there's one guy that's watching to make sure that the enemy cannot come. And that guy cannot sleep. If he sleeps, the whole security of the whole troop could be sabotaged. That's the same thing that happens with us. There's, we, we're faced with circumstances that we don't want, and there's a part of us where we just kind of want to close our eyes, forget what God has said. Kind of just take a step back, kind of relax. Maybe waver on what the truth really is. What you find is that that idea of do not depart from it. Do not go to the right or to the left. Stay on the path that God has put you on. Uh, Practically, this means don't forget what, what God has done for you. It's his faithfulness through the years of your life. Uh, it also means don't look for satisfaction and worth in anything but him. If there's a relationship or there's a habit or there's a circumstance or there's something that's getting your gratification and it's getting your focus, being careful is remembering that that is not what will help you. That is not what will give you the satisfaction, really, and the success that only God can bring as we do life his way. Being careful also means that we, we look at sin as sin. In our own life, we work on that. 
We pull the weeds of our heart. So be strong, be courageous, and be careful. My hope is as, as we do that, as we take care of the things that God has given us, and do not lose heart, God through us will allow us to get past the trouble, get past the pressure, and ultimately bring, bring honor to him. So Randy's going to come up and walk us through some next steps. As the band comes up, I'd like to ask you, if you would, to take the connection card out again and finish completing anything you haven't had an opportunity to fill out that you'd like to. And then I'm going to suggest some next steps. And after we walk through this, when the offering comes by, you could drop that card in the offering. That'd be great. Uh, first step that we suggest is to ask God for help as I battle wrong thinking and fear in a specific circumstance. As we walk through this, maybe something in family life comes to mind, some struggles or some conflict or something that you know, has created a lot of anxiety or something at work or here in ministry, wherever it is. Uh, maybe there's something that you're dealing with and it, it's, it scares you, you're anxious about it, and you really want to ask God for help with that. Set time aside just every day. Bring this to God. God, would you help me? Help me to deal with this. Help me to think rightly about it. Help me to be strong, courageous, and careful to do what you want me to do with this. Second step would be to memorize one of the verses that uh, Alex walked through. You can go back over. Maybe God spoke to you through one of those verses. be a good thing to memorize it, to let that soak in, and then ask God to rearrange your mind and begin to, to live that out. If you haven't yet decided to follow Christ, maybe today you're ready to do that. You've been investigating what it means to follow him. And today, for the first time, uh, you're ready to accept God's forgiveness in Christ and follow him as Lord. You may want to take that step today. Uh, That'd be great. That's, That's the beginning of letting God come inside and lead you and change you and make you who he wants to be and live for his purpose. Uh, another step would be to sign up for the Wisdom One Day Seminar. As Ben said, uh, the, uh, the prices go up Friday the 6th. That's this Friday. So I'd encourage you to go to that seminar. It's some very, very helpful teaching from Harold Bullock on uh, what the Scripture says about wisdom, about patterns in our lives that tend to undermine our success in family life and work and ministry and all across the board. And then some steps we can take on into wisdom. Very, very helpful. If you have never heard, especially if you've never heard his teaching on this, I'd encourage you to sign up. Um, but do that before Friday so you can get a better price on the, on the seminar. Um, and then you may want to attend the rest of the Box Office Wisdom series. So let us know if you don't one of those steps or something you want to do, and God may have laid something else on your heart uh, as, as we walk through this today. If you're a first-time guest with us, we're really glad you're here. Again, we're glad you're here, and we have a gift for you. It's the book, What on Earth Am I Here For? It's on the table to the left, a little taller table with the popcorn on it. We also have a, a free movie ticket for you in honor of the, of the series we're doing. Again, let's, uh, let's go to God and ask for his help. Father, we thank you for your, your goodness, God. We thank you for your grace and your patience with us the truth that we find in scripture that anchors our hearts and minds. God, I pray that you'd give us the strength to take the steps that you've laid on our heart this morning. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.